My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor here at Discovery. If you have a Bible, you can uh, meet me in Mark chapter 8. It'll be up on the screen, and you can follow along on your phone as well. As you're looking that up, I just want to tell a quick story about that video. Um, so there's that moment in the video where there's like a, a picture of people in, in the newspaper, right? So when, when they went to film that, the idea behind the video was like, Good news and the idea of news and, and, you know, people used to read newspapers to find out about what was going on in the world. So there's kind of that, that theme going on. It was a very happy coincidence, though, that in that particular paper, they just went and bought a Davis Enterprise that day. In that particular paper was a group of people from Discovery serving an organization here in Davis called Make It Happen. And so that picture is not like manufactured or edited or, you know, we live in the, the day and age of like, can you trust anything that you see in video? I'm here to tell you, yes, that was a real thing. Um, and so it's just kind of cool that happened. And there's a, there's a connection there to uh, some things that happened in our community last month where we did that, that donation drive. That was also for Make It Happen, again, a, a local organization here that helps serve uh, college students at UC Davis in particular who grew up in the foster system. So just kind of interesting to see all those different connections. If you're just watching the video, you know, maybe you zone out, start thinking about lunch when that's playing during our transition time that, in that moment. It's actually a really cool story how that all happened. wasn't necessarily like, again, manufactured, but, but pretty neat that that happened to be an article that was running in the paper the week that they were making the video. So I wanted to share that with you uh, this morning. All right, Mark chapter 8, we're going to read just a couple of verses here and then talk about what in some ways is, I think, one of the heavier things that Jesus says, but also some of the best news that he has to offer. So Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, then he, he is Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? an amazing question. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Father, we pray now that you would uh, speak to us through these words of Jesus. We're grateful to be able to gather, to be in this place, to see each other, hang out, hear stories, grow in friendship and relationship with each other, but also, God, to consider what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how we do that both individually and collectively as a church on mission in this place. So we ask, God, that you would hold all that we bring into this moment so that we can be fully present here. Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the courage to respond in whatever ways we need to respond. And everybody said... Amen. All right. Well, as many of you know, our family is uh, pretty deep into baseball and softball here in Davis. And, you know, youth sports in general is like an interesting thing. Um, just how people interact with that and how, how that impacts kids and families and parents. Our kids, again, playing baseball and softball, which is 
uh, which are sports that are like really hard, right? There, there's, there's like degrees of difficulty to all sports, but, but baseball and softball are particularly hard. In fact, like really good players actually fail most of the time, right? Like you're a good player if you're succeeding 30% of the time. And this is an interesting phenomenon because we live in a moment, we live in a cultural moment where we have a really hard time just in general with failure. We have a really hard time with our kids. You all feel pretty good about your day, right? But you strike out, everybody sees it, right? You have a bad ending on the mound, there's no hiding from that. And so to go to these events, and, and I'm not judging here because, I mean, this is like, this is also confession. This is like deep stuff that is happening in me. Experience of like participating in these things. But you go to these games and it's just this experience of like parental agony on display. Right? As people watch their kids try to play these really difficult sports, we don't know how to handle failure and pain and suffering in our world, in our moments. So much of what we do is geared towards avoiding suffering at all costs. And I would fully include church in this. For some people, for some of us, church is the place where we go to escape the pain and harshness of the world. Right, and we create these theologies that promise, you know, five steps to a better family, three steps to financial freedom, like, we very subtly and then sometimes very directly communicate that if you follow Jesus, everything will be better. Right? Things will just keep getting better and better in your life if you do these things. Follow Jesus and you will never have to suffer. And the problem with this is that it's actually completely antithetical <laughs> to the way of Jesus. Pain avoidance, suffering denial is the opposite of the way of Jesus. St. Augustine wrote, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. And so to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus, certainly there are benefits. But to follow Jesus is to embrace suffering. Now, this particular text that we are considering today has definitely been used to manipulate people, right? This sort of like, uh, if you're not, you know, got to work harder, pick up that cross, not following Jesus, taking it easy. Some of you maybe have experienced that kind of messaging. Some of us, whether or not we've, we've heard that messaging, we have this like inner voice, this sort of like uh, inner critic that says, oh, you're enjoying it too much, having too much fun. Can't be of God. Right, and so this morning as we consider the truth, right, the truth that to follow Jesus is to embrace suffering. I also want to make sure we don't swing in this direction of thinking that if we are enjoying something, of thinking that if, if we are experiencing goodness from something, that that's somehow like not it. Are you with me? So we don't want to go in that direction, but we do need to tell the truth. There is no following Jesus without the cross. So let's pull back the camera here for just a moment and, and kind of remember where we are in the book of Mark. Last week we were in chapter 7. 
We were with Jesus who goes out, far out into Gentile territory. He spends time with this, this Syrophoenician woman and he blows the doors, right, off the ideas that his culturally Jewish disciples had about who was in and who was out. Right after that, though, Jesus comes back south, back down into Galilee. He continues to have all of these crazy experiences and women. This is healing people. He's helping people. He's feeding over 4,000 men and women. This is the second time in, in, the, in the book of Mark that Jesus has fed a huge crowd miraculously. And in the midst of all of those miracles, he's also having this ongoing conversation with his disciples. And the theme of the conversation is seeing, hearing, and understanding. The disciples, we might say it this way, they are having a lot of experiences and they are not making a lot of connections. I don't know if you've ever had someone like that in your life where all these things are happening. They're not quite getting it. This is Jesus and the disciples. Look at what he says in verse 18 of chapter 8. Don't you have eyes? I think this is how he said it. The tone. Okay. Don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? Don't you have ears? Why can't you hear? Then we come to two scenes that should be familiar to us. We looked at these a few months back when we were in the disciple conversation. Remember when we looked at Peter in particular and how he shows us all these really interesting things about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is the story where Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And Peter has this remarkable answer, right? He gets it boldly and correctly identifying Jesus as the Messiah, the King. You are the one that we have been waiting for. And Jesus goes, yes, I am. And so we're going to go to Jerusalem, and I am going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and then three days later I'm going to rise from the dead. And, and Peter pulls him aside and is like, no, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen. We, we talked about this before, but again, it's just so important to remember that 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 would have been really hard news for them to hear, right? A really difficult thing for them to receive. They were expecting, whenever this Messiah showed up, whenever this king showed up, they were expecting uh, freedom from oppression, right? Their, their sort of Roman overlords would be kicked out and they would, they would see justice. They would experience power and glory. And so again, Jesus or, or Peter takes Jesus aside and says, no, 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 that's not what the Messiah does. you got the wrong job description. I don't think you understand what you're supposed to be doing. Let me explain it to you. And Jesus' response, right, sternly corrects Peter. Sternly corrects Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Not the thing you want to hear from Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Thoughts. So this is what immediately precedes our scene today. It opens with Jesus calling together both the disciples and the crowds, which is a rarity in Mark. Oftentimes what happens in Mark is that when it comes time to really like get into it, explain what's going on, Jesus tends to do that in more intimate moments. Send the crowd away. Let me unpack this for you. But here... He wants, everyone's going to get together right now and hear what I have to say. And he begins by saying this, whoever wants to be my disciple, right? Remember the, the primary audience here is, is the disciples. There is this crowd. 
But Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, I'm sure the 12 disciples are like, dude, we already signed up for this. But here, here's a really interesting thing about how this actually breaks down. Literally, Jesus says, whoever wants to get behind me. So here we have the same word that he used with Peter in the previous scene, get behind me. When Peter was rebuking Jesus in front, I know better. This is how the story goes. Let me tell you what the Messiah is supposed to do. And then Jesus says, get behind me. And then he backs that up with, if anybody wants to get behind me, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Peter was not acting like a disciple. This speaks to the ongoing nature of discipleship and formation. This is one of our fundamental assumptions and beliefs here at Discovery. We are all following something. We're all being discipled by someone or something. We are all behind something. This is what Jesus is saying here. Everybody, you are a disciple of someone or something, some way of life. So, hey, you want to be my disciple? It looks like this. It looks like this. It looks like a cross. It looks like a cross. It does not look like victory over Roman oppressors or power or influence or fame. It looks like a cross denying yourself, taking up your cross and getting behind me. Then he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, the good news, will save it. 2,000 years later, this still sounds a little crazy. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow Jesus, lose your life to find it. But words, again, words fail to describe just how upsetting this would have been for them. The cross was not just a, an unfortunate thing. It, it represented everything that they hated about Rome. It wasn't just a, a, a tool used to kill people. It, it symbolized everything about Roman oppression. It was deeply offensive. It was deeply offensive to think of the Messiah, first of all, as anything other than a conquering hero. It was unthinkable to consider the Messiah being executed, like, first of all, even just dying. If he was going to die, it might be like in an epic battle, right? For the Messiah to die on a cross, unthinkable. This is going to be a horrible analogy, okay? But bear with me. I, I know sports. Steph Curry, look at that guy. Steph Curry, there's a, there's a debate in Bay Area sports fandom right now about is he the, like, the greatest athlete in Bay Area history? There's some 49er fans and some Giants fans that might argue with you about that. But anyway, part of the reason why I think Steph is so beloved is because he seems like the kind of guy who's going to play his whole career for the Warriors, for one team. And 
uh, he's, he's only been on the Warriors since he was drafted into the NBA and then has obviously had a great career. But it seems like he's going to be there till he retires. So imagine that that's true. This is how the story goes. He plays whatever amount of seasons for the Warriors, retires. And then right before going into the Hall of Fame, he comes out of retirement, signs a one-day contract with the Lakers just so he can go into the Hall of Fame with the Lakers. People are mad already. Again, this is not the best analogy in the world, but like that feeling of like, oh, Steph in a Lakers jersey is like, oh. Like when, when Jesus says, when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, this is what the disciples are feeling, but like a million times worse. Like this is, this, you can't, you've got to be kidding me. Cross? Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for him and for the gospel will save it. And then these two just incredible questions. Incredible questions that we would all do well to sit with. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for the of Jesus? is not to give up everything and be miserable. The litmus test of discipleship in the way of Jesus is not how terrible your life is. The litmus test is who are you following? Who are you behind? It's following Jesus. And in particular, it's trusting Jesus. And so what he is really talking about here is himself. I think we have a tendency to want to jump to like, but what does that mean? What does it mean for me? What do I need to give up? And those are really good and important questions. We'll get to some of those questions in just a minute. But the real invitation here is to trust Jesus. What Jesus wants us to see is that the way of the cross is the best way to find life. It is the only way to find life because it is the Jesus way. And the cross, as offensive as it can be, becomes this thing, right? This symbol that gets completely flipped around to, not, to no longer be a deeply offensive symbol of Roman oppression but to be this symbol of how much we can trust the goodness of Jesus. It's him saying, I am trustworthy with your soul. There are so many things that you can give yourself to, but I am the only one who is trustworthy with your soul. And there's many different ways in which God has demonstrated this, but the most clear one is the cross. Right, the cross that Jesus himself picked up and bore and suffered under. Physical death, emotional pain, psychological humiliation, all these different things. Right, to overcome sin and death, so that we can be in relationship with him.
the cross is Jesus saying, I am trustworthy with your soul. And so Jesus doesn't need you to suffer to prove yourself to him. He just wants you. He just wants you. His promise is not that everything is going to be awesome. His promise is that he will care for your soul. Now there is, again, I think there is a hard truth here for us to to sit with. The death, the denial is about the elimination of anything that prevents us from getting behind Jesus. And that can be our own stuff, our own sin for sure. But that can also be good things, right? Good things that we turn into ultimate things, good things that become idols. Picking up your cross certainly can mean the death of a porn habit. But it can also mean changing a a job or choosing a particular career that maybe won't pay as much as another one, but it frees you up in different ways to love and serve people and to participate in what God is doing in your life, through your life. It can look like a million different things, but it comes back to this question of what are you giving your soul to? There are always things competing for our souls. Jesus wants our soul, and he's saying, I am worthy to be trusted with your soul. Now, in our our cultural moment, I think a primary means for escaping suffering is through creating our own identity. I think this is a way of us sort of getting out ahead, right, taking control. Receiving an identity, getting behind someone or something is seen as oppressive. It's seen as my freedom to express myself as being limited. And it can sound good, right, to sort of self-create. But ultimately, it crushes human beings for our souls to be entrusted to ourselves. Are you with me? To ourselves. We were not. But we are most ourselves. We are most alive when we receive our identity from our creator. And so here, friends, is Jesus' invitation. Follow Jesus. Identify as his disciple. And yes, that does mean dying to other options, other ways of life. But through that death, we find life now and into eternity. We find life because Jesus is the only one who is good enough, who is big enough, who is loving enough to be entrusted with our souls. And again, no clear demonstration of that than the cross. So there is a response, I think, for us. We can be hedonists, right, and deny suffering by numbing ourselves, distracting ourselves, just keep scrolling. Or we can be masochists, and deny pleasure and goodness, right, to prove how, how spiritual we are. Or we can be disciples of Jesus. Disciples who embrace the way of Jesus, what theologians will sometimes call the cruciform way. That's just a fancy way of saying cross-shaped. 
the cruciform way, holding the tension between suffering and glory, winning by losing, living by dying. So two questions. I think these are two great questions to come back to again and again. These are questions that must be asked in community, not in isolation. But what needs to die and where do I experience life? What needs to die and where do I experience life? There are things that need to die. Right? Sin, pride, ego, sometimes even good things that we need to let go of, expectations that we might have had. Some things need to die. But also, where are you experiencing life? Those places, relationships, relationships, Context, roles, hobbies, rhythms, practices, those things that bring you life are these signals, right, that God has put into our story that help us know this is what I was created for. So pay attention to those things. Don't, don't, if you're like, if something lights you up, man, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. What needs to die? What brings life? These are, the, these are cruciform questions. Now, when I think about um, this whole idea that we've been talking about today, cruciform lives, I think one of the best examples from within our community over the last year has been our interns. Right? Joshua... Pamela, Ross, yes, get, give them a hand. I'm actually going to invite them up to the stage. I, I, and I wanted to give you guys, they're about to wrap up their, their time interning with us here in the next couple of weeks. I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to hear just a little bit about what this experience has been like, some of the things that they have gotten to participate in, and some of the things that they have learned over the last 10-ish months. So here they are. Let me get out of the way. How's it going, guys? Great. It's great. <laughs> uh, why don't you just kind of briefly, succinctly tell us a little bit about what um, you got to do this year and then what you're going to be doing next so that people sort of know where you're going. So what you did this year, what you'll be doing next, and then I have more questions for you after that. Josh, do you want to start? <laughs> Sorry, I, I was... Is this on? I was fiddling with the mic, so I didn't hear your question. Can you repeat it? What did you do this year and what are you doing next? Yeah, so as interns, what we did is we, um, we participated in staff meetings, um, Tuesday planning meetings. We had a meeting with Steve every Wednesday where we talked about books and ourselves and what the internship, how the internship was going. Um, and then we also led the neighborhood community. Um, yeah. Um, which is the, the, the um, the living room is the neighborhood community for um, our, our undergrad students. And then next year, actually tomorrow, I will be going down to San Jose to serve as a part-time worship pastor or worship leader at um, Westgate Church. My name is Pamela. Um, I did all the same things as Joshua. Um, I will be sticking around Davis for the next year. 
Um, and I will continue working in the Davis Joint Unified School District. So if you're ever at the district office, you can always come and say hi. Um, yeah, but I'm excited to continue being a part of Discovery, um, being here in our Sunday gatherings, and continuing on in the uh, Connections team, which I also partook in this year. Um, I'm Ross, and um, hi. Um, another cool thing we got to do this year is go to um, Chile this winter, um, which I'm sure a lot of you guys saw. And um, yeah, this winter I'm actually going to go back and um, do some traveling there for the winter. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then I'll be back in Davis after that. Awesome. So the, I think the big question I wanted to ask you guys this morning is, like, why did you do this? Why, right after graduation, give up a year to hang out in Davis for another year and serve a church, go to staff meetings, all that good stuff? Um, why did you do this? Yeah, I think that especially for um, the class that the three of us were in, we had a very kind of interesting experience in college experiencing the entire pandemic just halfway through. And then um, I think for myself, it just felt um, like through that college experience, I'd picked up a lot of like um, bad attitudes and bad um, perspectives towards, towards work and productivity and stuff like that because school was hard, like going through the pandemic. And um, with that, I didn't feel ready to make a good decision um, for the next steps in my life, and I thought that this year could be a good time to to learn and grow and make a better informed decision. Yeah, for me, um, I majored in biochemistry, um, but my senior year, I felt God calling me towards ministry, um, which was a big kind of 180 that I had not prepared for, um, and it involves me kind of processing through, like, what does it mean that I put all this effort into this degree and then I'm not going to use it? That's kind of weird. Um, but, like, shortly after I'd made that decision, Steve came to us with, like, hey, there's going to be an important to you. I was like, oh, that's, that sounds like a great, like, next step given this kind of um, calling that I had heard from God. Um. I am super uh, grateful to have been a part of Discovery for the past four years. Um, and when the opportunity came up to do this internship, I jumped at, <laughs> at it um, because I do see myself um, continuing on, whether this is at Discovery or in another church in the future, um, being an active participant um, in whichever body that I am near to. Um, and so being able to see what goes on behind the scenes and understand on a deeper level uh, why we do the things the way that we do um, and how to better serve the community that is right here, that was super important to me. Cool. All right, this last question is like a huge question. Um, and you, you knew what it was ahead of time, so that's good. But... Um, in this context of our conversation this morning and thinking about Jesus being trustworthy with our souls and these big questions of what needs to die and where did you experience life, I wanted to kind of throw that back to you for a little bit of reflection. Like, over the course of the year, what did you feel like needed to die and where did you experience life? 
Um, as Josh mentioned, we did have a neighborhood community um, that we hosted each Tuesday night at our uh, apartment, um, which was an incredible opportunity to get to know uh, students that I hadn't really had a relationship before with before. Um, but I think what needed to die going into that was my idea that the community would just flourish and get close immediately. That did not happen overnight. Um, <laughs> there was no recipe to create intimate bonds with people or get to know them super quickly. Um, and growing in that aspect has definitely allowed for deeper relationships. Um, the fact that it didn't come quickly, but it was um, something that took time and investment um, made it so much richer once I did get to know those people um, and get to know my, um, my fellow interns as well, even better. Um, in regards to life, I would say that uh, my favorite part of the internship had to be the devotionals. Um, each week we would spend an hour with a person within um, our discovery community, um, some people who we'd known previously, some people that we had never talked to, um, and we would hear from them and walk through a devotional with them and see um, not only how God is working in their lives, but understand how God is seen through their eyes. Um, and so for like someone like Lisa Casagrande, who is big on reflection and prayer, we got to do prayer labyrinths. So if you don't know what that is, ask her. I didn't know what it was either. Um, that brought me a lot of joy and life to see God through their eyes. Yeah, I touched on this a little bit in the previous question, but um, something that I, I had to really kind of struggle with and um, do discernment on was what does it look like um, to give up like the four years that I put into um, a STEM degree and um, go into ministry. And I definitely had done a lot of kind of processing on that before the internship started, but I think a lot of that happened during this year as well. Um, and just seeing what it would look like kind of to be a part of a church staff team and um, and serve God in a more kind of like vocational ministry kind of way um, has just been really life-giving this year. Um, and I just, um, I, I feel just um, by how like life-giving and, um, and fun the internship has been this year. Yeah, um, like I kind of touched on, I think that um, Coming out of school, like I think academic culture can leave you a little, um, I guess, jaded towards the ideas of productivity and work. Um, I think as a student, you're always sort of feeling like you're not doing enough and you're looking for shortcuts and how to be more efficient and you're procrastinating a lot and uh, all of that. And I think that really had to die for me. And um, this year, Steve assigned us a bunch of books to read, which was awesome. They were very good books, but like, some There's of them. Some better than others, for sure. sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that there's definitely, like, especially at the beginning when you assign them the impulse to be like, I should skim this, or like, <laughs> I should look up the SparkNotes summary of this. But actually reading them was really good, and they were, like, very, very informative and helpful and interesting and prompted good discussion. So, um, yeah, I think I'm glad that that was an attitude that um, died this year. 
And then I would definitely echo what they were saying in terms of um, things that gave life this year. I think another thing um, was our chili trip, like I mentioned. That was, um, I think, really cool for me just to step outside of the, the bubble we have here in Davis and the bubble we have um, just in like American church culture and just really opened my eyes to a, a much broader perspective that was really exciting. Well, thank you guys. You, um, this is really like we've had some prototypes of this program, but this is the first cohort to go through the full thing. Um, and you have set the bar high for, for future cohorts. So thank you for, uh, for doing this, for trusting us, for taking a risk, um, and for being with us for this year. We deeply appreciate all that you guys have done. So let's give them a hand. Don't, don't, go, don't go anywhere yet. Come back, come back, Ross. Um, just want to invite you, if you're able to, um, we're going to just pray over them together. So if you're able to, to extend an arm, uh, pray with me. Father, we are so grateful for these three, uh, for the step that they took this year to be a part um, of this kind of new expression of the internship program at Discovery, uh, for the ways in which they gave a lot of themselves to uh, to each other, to um, just this dream of having a program like this, and then to the people that they got to serve and be with over the course of the year. Uh, God, we ask that you would continue to lead them as they move into the next thing. Uh, we're grateful to hear about the opportunities that lie ahead, and we just ask that they would continue to experience uh, your goodness, your peace, your grace, your love um, as they participate um, in your mission with you in different, uh, different ways in different places, but the same mission. Um, we're grateful for them, God, and uh, we celebrate them today. Amen. All right, give them, give them a hand one more time. And then I'll invite the, the band to come back. They're going to lead us in a couple songs here as we close out our time together. We're going to take communion. If you would like to pray, um, our prayer team will be on either side of the theater. And I just want to come back to where, where we were a moment ago and ask a couple of questions. What are you behind? What have you gotten behind? Right, who are you following? And then what needs to die and where do you find life? As we gather around the table today where we remember what Jesus has done on the cross, right? Where we remember and celebrate that he is trustworthy with our souls and that this is the best news possible. And it's not on us, it's not up to us to self-create. It's not on us to earn, uh, you know, God's approval. It's not on us to like suffer and be miserable so that God will be more happy with us. No, we just get to receive, right? We get to receive. Receive the gift of relationship, the gift of life, the gift of grace, the gift of love. We celebrate that in this moment called communion. When you're ready, come to one of the stations here around that cross. A cup of juice representing his blood poured out for us on that cross. This tangible demonstration of his love, of his trustworthiness. Right, that he is trustworthy.